Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another Anatomy movie. I'll just say it right here. We're talking Split, and therefore, it will be massive spoiler. So if you haven't seen the movie, uh, check back in after you've seen the movie. You don't want it spoiled. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back for another Anatomy of a Movie quite... I could say this type of movie is what this show is made for. <laughs> uh, we have Dimitri Panos, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, movie fans. How are you? Uh, we have Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. And uh, we're very excited to talk about the latest uh, M. Night Shyamalan movie, Split. Um, as I said at the top, I'll just say it a couple more times just to reiterate. This is spoiler-filled. This is spoiler-filled. If you haven't seen the movie, there's going to be plot twists given away. M. Night Shyamalan has plot twists. There will be plot twists given away. So hopefully you understand the severity if you continue on. Yes. <laughs> um, but as always, let's start with, with uh, overall impressions, starting with Dimitri. Well, well, I, well I have a first. It's a first. It's a well, first. first of the year. Yeah, first. Well, you know, it's uh, I got the first uh, for twenty split for twenty seventeen is drumroll the first movie to make me angry in twenty seventeen. Ah. Ah. I was <laughs> I mean, kind of hoping it was going to go the other way around. No. Uh, yeah, I. You know, I didn't think it would be so soon. <laughs> I thought we might have gotten something maybe in March or yeah, maybe April. Uh, it was right off to the bat. To be fair, January and February are kind of dumping grounds. Yeah, but yeah. this movie wasn't dumped. I, you know, it was Talk about the marketing. I mean, there was a lot of marketing, so I don't call this movie a dump at all. Uh, it's, you know, it makes $40 million, too. It's, you know, dump movies usually don't. Don't do that. I get that. So, and, and, and the thing of it is, I was looking forward to this movie. I had high hopes because about a year ago, uh, you know, M. Night Shyamalan came back with, I thought, the very good The Visit, which was a good thriller, horror, People comedy. People didn't like that one either. Yeah, and, but you but, did? But, yeah, I thought The Visit was a lot of fun. I thought it had a fun twist. The kids were great. Uh, and for the first time, like he infused some dark humor. Like I, I laughed, and I just had a good time watching The Visit. So once I started seeing the trailers for this movie, I was like, oh. Okay, I'm in. You know, I like James McAvoy. I love that uh, Anna, Anna Taylor. I love her from The Witch. So, and, and the movie started out okay, and it just spiraled down to uh, a non it spiraled to a pit of nonsensical despair. And talk about an ending. Since we talk spoilers, I mean, the ending just left me feeling dirty. Uh, number one, I mean, the protagonist ends up being carted off like our sole survivor and she's being carted off to be left with her incestuous raping uncle yay mm -hmm. and then that cheapo twist turns changes the whole dynamic of the movie and just makes it this villain origin story for within the world of M. Night Shyamalan's Unbreakable which came out in like 2000 and boy, did I feel used, abused, and don't forget angry by the time this movie was over. Right. So, so overall, very positive thought. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I'm positive that I did not like the movie. Very good. <laughs> All right, this will be interesting. Um, just given the subject matter, uh, the fact that 
you know, the movie, even though it ends up not being necessarily about this, but the fact that we have three females captive. Well, Marissa, you as a female. I wanted yeah. to know her opinion. I really did. Because I was thinking a lot driving up here, so I, I, I'm waiting with bated breath. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> oh, well, first of all, you know, if you know, fans of the show know I'm not the first one to go to a horror film, a horror thriller. I mean, I do like psychological thrillers. But I have been to horror movies with you. Yeah. And, and, and it's fun it's, to go to horror movies It's fun with for Marissa. him to watch me, because <laughs> it it's not fun. Um, it, it but, <laughs> you speak for yourself. <laughs> um, but this one, I was, I was generally happy that it wasn't as scary as I thought it was going to be. Mm. I like psychological thrillers. I like a dark twist. I do, you know, watch a lot of crazy dark things, um, contrary to what people believe. And I, I thought it was interesting. Like, the psychology, they kind of went a little bit into it, but not too much. It was just enough for us to understand what was going on. I didn't like the fact that it was, like, three teenage girls. I think it's like too easy of a twist, but I did like that there was at least one girl who was kind of like strong enough to go against our main antagonist. But I think the, James McAvoy takes the whole film. Honestly, I mean Anya Taylor, Joy is great, but it was this is really James McAvoy's film. Um overall, it didn't make me angry, but the end twist, I'm like, okay, great. And I was going into this film knowing it's M. Night Shyamalan. I was like, every ending of his films, every single one of them, there's something that happens. Mm -hmm. So, like, I knew something was coming, and then it came to that twist ending. I'm like, oh, there it is. And I was like, I just shrugged it off. I'm like, okay, fine. Had you seen Unbreakable? I haven't. I haven't. But I, I saw Sixth Sense. So, like, when I watched it, I just went to Sixth Sense and not Unbreakable. And other people who actually have seen Unbreakable mm-hmm. knows what about. Um, I just saw Bruce Willis. I was like, what is he doing there? Right. So let's, yeah, um, I'll give you my thoughts, then we'll, then, then we'll dive into it. Because, again, it's, it, with a movie like this, you just got, you, there's no way to really build into it. You got to just start at the end. But, um, <laughs> but we'll, we'll try to do our best. So here's, here's my thoughts. Um, Number one, to kind of address, it's interesting if you read the plot on Wikipedia, um, in terms of, in terms of um, Casey, they state like she gives a look like she's going to tell the police. And it's like, I, I didn't get that. If you don't, you know, if you have a different interpretation of it, it's a very open ended ending to what happens with Casey's character. Um, and I thought, you know, I don't know, it, it was one of those movies I was excited about it. Um, Towards the end, I was kind of left wondering because, in some sense, you're expecting a twist ending, and I was like, "Wait, is this in her head? Is she? Does she have split personalities? And she's made this up in her head, and we've been in her head." And I felt cheated by that, and it wasn't that. And um, then we get that sort of ending with with uh, Bruce Willis, and yeah, I was trying to think. Wait, I hadn't seen Unbreakable, so I had no context. It's a very dicey move to do something like that because. It's not like it's self-contained, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, another, you know, and in my mind went first off when when I saw the posters, I kind of thought uh, James McAvoy was Joseph Gordon-Levitt. So just by that dumb <laughs> connection initially, obviously eventually I got like got that it was, you know, once I saw the movie, I was like, oh yeah, it's James McAvoy, not Joseph Gordon-Levitt. But then I thought they tied in Looper and uh. that. And I, With Bruce he, Willis. Well, because, you know, the whole 15 years later or something like that. And I was like, wait, I guess in Looper they, they, it was the same guy, but they were separated. So right. what the hell is this garbage? I don't really get it. It just went over my head. Yeah. 
And um, and, it, and we're specifically talking the scene in the diner. Yeah. For the tray, like yeah, and, and the news is on, and they they, they capture or they were looking the for the elusive the horde as is his name. Yeah, and then it ends up on two two women again. This is very spoiler. The camera's going down the diner uh, uh, bar, so to speak. The and 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 two women are talking. Well, wasn't there? Like a few years ago, or wasn't there not too long ago, somebody in a wheelchair that they gave a name to, that they gave a, a, a you know, they called him something, and then we see Bruce. Number one, there is a a music cue that mm-hmm. is from Unbreakable. It's the Unbreakable score as it's going down, and then we see Bruce Willis, and he goes, "Yeah, his name's Mr. Glass," and boom, that's our, that's the Unbreakable. Right tie in. And but you know, um, a lot of people uh, feel ch- feel like the ending shifts things, and you know, um, I don't know. Th- there's a there's a great discussion on um, s- uh, the the slash film cast um, that I listened to, and I, I thought it was actually decent. But they were making an argument how like, well, the ending just because it cha- retroactively changes everything, like you know, there, there's. That doesn't quite work, and I, I thought about another James McAvoy movie that does do that: Atonement. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. Where, where yes. you're sort of led to okay, right? Mm-hmm. Spoilers. <laughs> yeah. Um, things are happening, but things aren't as they seem. You yes. know, and that's the way I'll say it: where it doesn't quite give out a hundred percent of everything. But the reason why it works is because it's a very self-contained movie. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. And so, in the context of that movie, you're like, holy shit. Whereas in this one, again, me and Marissa are left scratching our heads. But I have yeah. to think that there are, again, this is something I was thinking about driving up there. I have two, you seen Unbreakable? Thoughts. Oh, yeah. Unbreakable okay. is one of his best movies, um, particularly if you are a comic book fan. This is his follow-up uh, to The Sixth Sense. And if you're a comic book fan, this is M. Night Shyamalan's homage to the artistry uh, of comic books where uh, and so yeah it's it's a great movie if you haven't seen it I, I do recommend it it's a typical M. Night Shyamalan slow burn kind of a movie his movies never are really action packed although The Visit had at this point sense. I feel like I have to yeah. like yeah. I feel so cheated <clears throat> that now I'm just like oh well by default I have to watch this movie Yeah, and it's, I have no choice it's yeah, really exactly. well done but I was like thinking that movie came out, I believe, 2000. in 2000. 2000. So we're talking 16 years ago, right? Going on 17. 17 years ago. 17 years ago. And I was like, how many... Like, to do that, to me, there seemed to be a sense of hubris in thinking that everybody who's coming into this movie split, everybody has seen Unbreakable. And I... In 17 years, you you can't... Like, there are kids who were born in 2000 who are 17 now, or 16 Well, the movie is PG-13, which, by the way, is shocking. I was a little bit... Shocking. I was very shocked at that, too. Um, But that's sort of... Like, I'm like, that's sort of... You're you're asking an awful lot, and you're... It's a little bit of humorous, because humorous, because there's no explanation. And if, like yourselves, didn't see Unbreakable... You're not getting the tie-in. Well, let me ask you this. Just, to, you know, a quick... We don't have to spend that much yeah. time on it, but um, as quickly as you can. If someone hasn't seen the movie and, you know, they're asking you, hey, should I go see um, Split? How do you, in a sense, tell them, well, have you seen Unbreakable? 
you know what I mean? Without, without giving it away. Yeah. Because it's it's a tough thing to do because I you know, anyone that goes see this movie, I would want to have seen Unbreakable, but I also at the same time that's that's a huge spoiler if I did right. it in that way. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 it's weird because for me, it goes two ways. Like there's a fork in the road. Seen Unbreakable, haven't seen Unbreakable, how does it affect your movie going experience? For me, having seen Unbreakable, it really cheapens this movie because that means it just changes the dynamic. So instead of it becoming this psychological thriller that it's supposed to be about split personality disorder and things like that, now it's just become a two hour villain origin story. Like, and that's it. And and which doesn't which even cheapens it. It just cheapens what the movie was trying to accomplish for me. Well, it cheapens, uh, you know, I, I get that mm. if you have a third movie, Casey in some sense could be the Robin character to uh, David Dunn. However, it That's doesn't, a good point. It doesn't f- complete this movie in that respect. No, but if you haven't seen Unbreakable, then you're just like, okay, I'm expecting a twist. I don't get what, the, what Bruce Willis shows up. He says, Mr. Glass, what the hell is that? See, and I'm in that boat. <laughs> See, but I think there were a lot of people who were could be mm-hmm. in that in that you're in the same boat. I think you're in good company. I believe you're in good company. I think so. Yeah. So, and I'm not entirely sure the audience that I watched it with, and it was crowded. Um, I, I would say uh, there was a majority of that audience that didn't get. I, I heard people going, "What was Bruce Willis doing in this movie?" So, I don't know. Let's talk about, um, real quick, I'll list off a couple of the things that um, they've listed as hints towards this, right? You mentioned the soundtrack. That's definitely one of them. Um, Both David Dunn and Kevin discovered that they had powers um, on board a train. Um, The train connection obviously goes deeper. It could be the fact that, uh, you know, the train that... Uh, the train crash in the f- in the first movie, Unbreakable, is what killed Kevin's father, which led to this downfall. Um, the, the nod to Kanye West, uh, he, his song "Through the Wire," has a direct connection where the lyric goes, "Unbreakable." Um, would you thought they called me Mr. Glass? And the fact that in Split, um, Hedwig loves Kanye West is a nod to that. Right. Um, obviously, the speech that uh, Doctor Felcher gives to the over Skype. You know, and, mm-hmm. and superpowers that kind of hints at something, and then uh, the poster, the biggest, you know, uh, indicator of all, the same sort of manner with the cracks and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess the writing was there, and it, 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 and when, I missed when it, every single one of those. Well, so did I, because again, I wasn't thinking of a movie that came out seventeen, almost seventeen years ago. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, Josh, can you mute your mic? <laughs> I was going to tell you, but I didn't want to like tell the audience, but now I'm going to just tell you because it's a little distracting. All right. Um, well, it's one of those – when I did watch it, there was a level of discomfort for me where I was like something's weird. And it was because of uh, Dr. Felcher and her sort of pushing her agenda. And I didn't get that. Did she really think that she was uh, – that, that, that Kevin and his personalities were innocent or is this part of the psychotherapy where in order to really get to the bottom of what's going on, she needed to mm-hmm. manipulate him and she was hold, she was playing her cards close to the chest, even so for the audience? I think that's a good question, but then I think it's, you're posing – I think you posed two good questions. One, when you were talking about Anya, uh, Anya Taylor's character, um, which I wanted to talk about um, very briefly too because 
I was thinking the twist was going to involve that character as well. Because mm-hmm. when you watch uh, Casey Cook, was uh, Anya Taylor-Joy's character's name, right? So Casey, throughout the movie, number one, when, 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 when they're abducted in the car, like her character is the last to be Joker gassed, so to speak. It, it's almost as if James McAvoy didn't see her. Which I was like, how can he not see her? It was so frustrating. It was a weird, right? And she was also the, of the three teenagers, she was the one that was the least disrobed. Okay. Now, as the movie goes on, I guess that was sort of to hide what appeared to be self-inflicted. Big reveal. You know, right? But that character was the one that was losing the last clothes in this, this, this really dirty thing of strip poker kind of it was just a weird thing and for me i actually felt sort of i felt sort of dirty bringing up your pg-13 rating i, I mean these were teenage these are girls that teenagers were should watch this film forced I mean. to be forced to disrobe to various degree like they were down to their I almost panties and get- bra and left in closets like as a as a as a male, as an adult male, I yeah. felt a little dirty. Like, well, even even the subject matter of like, as mentioned, uh, Casey, Casey, uh, you know, she suffered abuse. You know, when, when she says like, just pee on yourself. Now, in hindsight, you get, oh wow, you've you, that, that's why you know to do that. Um, that's a heavy like just by that subject matter itself and of the, rape yeah. and and, and, and was rape, and it was such, and that too, I was wondering. What is this leading up to? Like, why are we going... Why are we doing these flashbacks? Is it to show us because she can handle a rifle? Well, I understand why part of the plot... Because because of her trials and tribulations, that, quote-unquote, makes her pure in the eyes of the villain, the beast. But it just wasn't enough. And then... The mere fact that she's in the cop car and like, okay, we're taking you back to your uncle. You're like, I just felt even dirtier on top of being feeling dirty going, this is not a happy-go-lucky movie. And I don't know. It was... A lot of that just made me feel uncomfortable as as an adult male. Yeah, and here's the thing. I mean, Atonement, right? You can have a movie like Atonement that doesn't have a happy ending, but mm-hmm. the focus is still sort of, you know, you're, you're left in terms of that movie, you know, what this girl did in her childhood has haunted her for the rest of her life, and you feel bad for that main character because she feels bad. Mm-hmm. In this regard, you're like, from the get-go, you're not rooting for Kevin and his personalities, no. but that's all you're left with at the end of the movie, and you're like, this doesn't no no yeah and I was very frustrated that Kevin survived at the end of all this I was Same like now. everything that happens especially with the shootout at the end you think like a good film would have the antagonist die or like get killed off or get his I could justice accept, I could accept the fact that the let's say the girls all got away mm-hmm. and he mm-hmm. survived and was like oh well you know he's 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 still out there type of thing but at least we're safe for now, dot, dot, dot. No, right. and, like, and I think that's what made me frustrated at the end. Of the, like, I was just upset at the fact that he still survived. He's still out there. He's still kind of, quote, unquote, at large. And I think that's why I was also frustrated at the end of Don't Breathe. 
you know, we had the creepers. Don't, 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 don't yeah, spoil yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. No, spoiler to that yeah. one because we already did the yeah. anatomy for that one. But like, uh, yeah, but not everyone's. The, <laughs> that's no, an assumption that every anatomy movie we've fine. done, everyone's seen. No, it's okay. But, I mean, I, I but you're you know, like, the person at the end is still alive. Yeah. And still at charge, um, yeah. not like at large. Uh, but, I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. But back to your point about like Anya Taylor, like uh, Casey being the only one disrobed. We learned from, I believe it was like the police reports that this guy, that Kevin was actually following the two other girls first. Like he, he's been stalking right. them was, for the longest time. And we know Claire. Yeah, right. and we know at the party that the they actually brought along Casey. So she was just like the the person who was along for the ride and who wasn't originally place, supposed yeah originally wasn't <clears throat> supposed to be there and I, therefore I think Kevin was more fixated on the other two right. compared to Casey yeah, I, 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 I forget where I pulled it I think it's you know whether I was uh, Shyamalan or James McAvoy but you know he did the it's somewhere where you know the reason why he doesn't do the spray on her because he wanted to if she would would have been totally fine, he would have just kind of let her be a part of it, you know, and let her have certain, I guess, perks. I don't know if you could call it that, um, you know. But then she forced his hand, unfortunately, and that's what led to that. Interesting. Yeah, um, that whole car scene abduction though was really also. I I think this movie just made me frustrated. Not really angry, just frustrated. Um, that whole car scene abduction. She had the longest time to run away. Right. Two minutes, and they just stared at each other for like a painful twenty seconds. So like, girl, just run. Yeah. You're like, I get it. If she ran, the movie would be over. <laughs> but on screen, it visually, it was the longest time she could have just got up and ran out. Yeah. Well, that's what I, you know. I I did think, you know, initially, I I liked the flashbacks because it was like, okay, you know, it, it was talking about males versus females, and you know, you got to be. You got to shoot them and how to do it and you got to be very slow and methodical so it was like okay that's what she you were getting her mindset without yeah. having to spell out oh here's what she's thinking sure i guess um, yeah. so I, I i didn't necessarily mind that you know and, and i think i think you know because she's smart enough right. like mm-hmm. in a situation like that you know does he have a gun because if you run he's gonna just shoot you so you right. don't know certain things and you don't want to just jump the gun so right. to speak and let me well, and I want to I want to throw this 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 question out the table to the audience to you folks, right? Because you hadn't seen Unbreakable, right? So you mentioned something that it 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 was um, frustrating for you that mm-hmm. that um, Kevin Kevin and all his incarnations lived at the end, right? So, but now that you know, yes, he lived at the end, but now that we know that it is purely a direct tie-in to Unbreakable, which is M. Night Shyamalan's homage to comic books and superhero movies and super superhero comic books, not movies, but superhero comic books. So for two hours, basically, this Kevin character coming or, or, or turning into the Beast, he lives, of course, because this is an origin story for a villain in what could be the long-awaited Unbreakable Unsplitable. sequel. Yeah, unsplittable. <laughs> okay, my, so my question, you know? sorry, not to cut you off. My question yeah, is, because no. I haven't seen Unbreakable, is yeah. um, Unbreakable is the origin story for Kevin, or is it the other way around? No, no, okay. no like the, Kevin here is the origin story for Unbreakable. No, the, the, I mean... I really don't know. The Unbreakable is about the origin story of two people. 
It's the origin story of, of, a, of a hero and a villain. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's a villain who, yeah. So, more or less, that's so which what movie like chronologically just just storytelling? We know Unbreakable came out years ago, but, but for character wise, which one goes first? first. Unbreakable, Unbreakable comes same first. timeline. That's yeah. why they said fifteen yeah. years ago. Split is still set. Like, Split I'm still is very set lost. in the. Uh, think about it this way, if this helps. Think about Cloverfield and Ten Cloverfield Lane. Mm-hmm. Okay, not necessarily Ten Cloverfield Lane is not necessarily a direct sequel to the first movie Cloverfield, but it's set within that universe. Split is set in the same world as Unbreakable. And apparently, you know, uh, M. Night Shyamalan, to to the movie's credit, to M. Night Shyamalan's credit, and perhaps to the studio, but I think it was more M. Night's duty, they kept this such a secret that even when they were auditioning, uh, like James McAvoy, it wasn't in the script that he read nor was it in anybody else's script. They kept that ending out of test screenings. Like, nobody but M. Night and various cast and crew, because uh, James McAvoy didn't realize until much later on that this was going to happen. And to me, that, that, that's crazy. Like, that, that is such a great job of keeping this secret, because then it changes the entire movie because then is it an unbreakable sequel of of a sorts and and how do you market an unbreakable sequel but this comes up with a this gives a studio a new way like they don't have to call it a sequel to unbreakable because it's a twist that nobody's supposed to know about they market it as its own thriller right and now in a sense it's sort of a sequel much like 10 cloverfield lane is a sequel but not a sequel so i just found that uh very interesting and then upon research m night said that this was always part of the unbreakable world that kevin wendell crumb was a part of the original original script for unbreakable but he pulled them out because it just wasn't balancing right for and for uh but a bunch of scenes that are in this movie he wrote 15 years ago he said uh, and they were as is Patricia opening the door, Hedwig's first scene. Those were all he said. He had all those written already, and it's literally from the same moment that he created all the characters, all three of those characters. So, but I know I wanted to do a movie about him because I loved Kevin so much and thought it's a rich world of storytelling. It's the genesis of this movie I find fascinating. I wish it was a better movie. But the genesis of it all, when you think about it, like this was years, like in the making. He making he already had his templates and characters for 17, 15 years. Yeah, I, I think I was just more confused because I don't really see M Night Shyamalan as a franchise <clears throat> director. Like most of his films are just one-off, isolated films, and I wasn't expecting this to be tied into another one. Neither was I. But Unbreakable, if if you're going to look at M Night's career um unbreakable is probably the only movie and it's and it's and it's one movie in which you know diehard fans have said hey we're ever going to see these two characters together again because it is a comic book and comic books are meant to have continue you know continuous story arcs and lines and your hero will meet with different villains we know that today because back in 2000 
superhero movies weren't as franchised as they are today. Yeah, they weren't as big, I think, back then. That was you the only start had, of like, X-Men. X-Men. Yeah. And that's it. Uh, yeah. So, when you think about it, I, I'm sure M. Night was like, yeah, I might be able to come up with some stories, but when, you know, uh, working on Split, he's like, oh, well, I've already had this idea in my head. Now I can make it, because superhero movies maybe are sort of popular, but I'm going to do uh, something different. So, and he did something different. Listen, it, it's... I give him credit. It's it's definitely the ballsiest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> to do a twist ending to a movie that you're not expecting. But uh, I will say this, too. In reading this quote for M. Night, um, you know, the movie was satisfying on its own. Somebody, you know, even without Bruce Willis showing up at the end. It, it's a different movie. Well, I, pre- I, I, will, I like the setup where you go through the entire movie and you cut to split, right? So we see... We see him um, arguing with his personalities or whatever, Hedwig, Patricia, Dennis. In, and in, then in the mirror? Split. Yeah. yeah and yeah. then we get split. So it's a it's a it's a visual break, it's you feel concluded in a way. Whether good or not, but you're like, Oh, the movie's over. And then you get that. Even though people don't want to describe it as a stinger, I I kind of Yeah. Feel like it's a well, stinger. Well we as as we talked about, M Knight says you know, it should just work on its own. And he even admits at least half the audience hasn't seen my other work. They were just too young to see it. They'll get educated yeah. after it. And I'm like, but that's, that's asking a lot. Like, that's, again, to me, that's a little bit of hubris on your part. You mm-hmm. think that they're, like, they might, maybe they didn't like Splits. Maybe they don't give a crap. Maybe they don't give a shit about Unbreakable. It was, But they have to totally uh, be seeing a story that works all on its own. And I get that. I'm not entirely sure it did work on its own. No, it didn't. Without the without the stinger, but uh, to say, oh, they'll get educated after it. Well, he's, you know, uh, misery is kind of one of those uh, the the Stephen King based movie, right? You, you want your your captive person to survive. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, what was the movie you mentioned, Marissa? I mean, there's whether uh, don't breathe, don't breathe. There's so many movies just in 2016. That are about a captor and it's, uh, you know, captees, I guess. Sure. Is that the word? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Victims. That, you know, or people Captain sort of kept, you know, yeah. kept in a small confined area that, mm-hmm. that it's become sort of the genre. And, and, you know, whether or not he knew that, I'm not sure. Um, but something different needed to happen and to have a twist ending that people may or may not know, it doesn't work as a stand. Not for me doesn't work as a standalone piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, if nothing else, it, and by the way, it honestly, I feel like, could have been much more easily solved if they gave Casey something at the end. Some redemption. All it would have taken is 30 seconds, at most, where she would have been to the cop like, hey, I have something to tell you. At, yeah. at the very least, I would have, I really would have liked for her to have dispatched of her uncle. At the very least. So, because the, the trauma, you would figure, would still haunt this kid of what happened, okay? And, you know, nobody, nobody, they, they could have, nobody would have blamed her for doing what she, what, what she did. And I would at least have gotten a better sense of, well, she, 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 she's not a killer at heart. 
But when push comes to shove and she's backed into a corner, we know that she can use, I mean, that shotgun. I mean, I don't think it was mere coincidence that the shotgun that she's using at the end of the movie was the same type of shotgun that was in the flashbacks. But it's ironic it's that that ironic. Well, it's yeah. ironic in the in that that's not what ends up saving her, right? Which is the normal trope, the normal thing that you you're supposed to kind of set up and see. It's the fact that because of her abuse, that's what saves her. Yeah, and and it's funny because M Night uh, has gone on record and he says, uh, and, and this I found very interesting, uh, and I hope the audience does too. But I think as a, as a horror fan, I found his his. Uh, philosophy of the beast and um about only the pure you know you're only pure if you have suffered right think about probably the most famous horror movie trope and we were just talking about it in a sense about it follows right (laughs) in a horror movie m night goes on normally if you're going to get killed it's because you had sex Mm -hmm. look at Friday the 13th movie. Look at any horror. Right, a lot, okay? This is, you know, you're going to get killed because you are good, okay? And and by this is, I'm talking about split. And for me, the philosophy that the traumatic things, the things that have happened to us in our life, they definitely have changed us and changed people, but we tend to make it pejorative and say, now you are broken. Now you are not whole. Now you are not like us. Uh, you are not normal, and I'm not sure that's. He goes, I'm not sure that's the case. Yes, they are different, and yes, we are different when something traumatic happens to us. But is it less now? Are we less? It was, or is the different possible? <coughs> is the different possibly stronger? Like, is it something more? We tend to think, if nothing happens to you and you have a normal life, then everything's perfect. But the beast is kind of saying you're asleep. If you're perfect. And I so guess me, it's okay. that trope, whatever doesn't kill us, kill us, make us stronger. Okay, but I'll give you this, right? There's right. a difference. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, uh, watch t- uh, Tony Robbins' I'm Not Your Guru on Netflix. And there's a, there's a scene in which a woman, you know, has basically lived through sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and Tony tells her, like, because of this, you are more. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a very powerful moment. In this movie, okay, you are more means you're a psychotic beast that's going to kill anything in its path. You know, and I think I think there's a... Fu- I, and ultimately, there's a fundamental thing, like, you know, um, just because it's, it's the easiest comparison I can make is Tony Robbins to, you know, the character of the beast. You know, Tony doesn't necessarily wish this stuff upon you. All right. Mm-hmm. But it can make you stronger. But it also, if you happen to not have gone through that stuff, it doesn't make you bad. It doesn't make you impure or whatever. Um, it's just if if you do go through that stuff, there's a way to utilize it for positivity. This is not. But, this movie but, does not present that. But but yeah, can can you say that it presents it at least at the very least the Casey Cook's character? Because ultimately, because of that, she survives and is believed to have the purity within her and to be stronger. And I have to say, that character was set up to be the strongest of the three, even though Claire Benoit's character, Haley Lou Richardson... By the great, great in uh, Edge of 17. Oh, my God. Yes. No, and yeah, I'll bring that up, because that literally was one of my favorite movies of of last year. 
uh, very underappreciated at the Oscars, if you ask me. In any case, um, but Anna Taylor-Joy's character, Casey, I believe, Anya. was... Anya. I, she was the strongest. And she would go to the girls and going, no, <laughs> no, just, just shut up. Just, like, this will go better. And she was the smartest. Yeah, she was the smartest one. And she goes, we'll figure it out. But that's not the way to approach this guy. Like, that's just not the way to do it. Um, so I just wonder, yes, as far as uh, James McAvoy's characters, maybe that doesn't apply. But could you apply it to Casey's character? Yes, but not in the context that the movie is presented. Okay. Yeah, it just isn't. If she won in the end, I mean, the fact that she, we're left unknown of whether she tells the uncle to fuck off or not, you know, we're left with the idea, and we're left with the idea that she's going. This is the world that she's going back to. Furthermore, um, in the in the, in the context of which this movie has set it up, yeah, uh, in a sense, it's now it becomes a formula of okay, now she's gone through these things. Does she have to now develop um, DID? Mm-hmm. And then once she has DID, okay, then she has to, what, make sacrifices? And then that's what will trigger the beast? Like, there's just a whole slew of steps still that need to be done in order right. to get to the beast. Yeah. I, I didn't really understand, the, like, the whole purity thing. I, I thought it was more like, you ha- you've had a tortured background, too. I think, it, I don't want to say, like, that's not more of a pass. It's like, you, you, you have suffered, th- therefore, I have suffered, like... We, we connect on that level, I'll let you go for that. Mm-hmm. And that's more as I saw it. It's not, not really like the theological aspect of because you've suffered. wasn't even theological. All I this just... makes you pure. It's like, I saw it's like, you you have also suffered, therefore I have mercy on you and I'll let you go. And again, I just, I, I well, I took it as you suffered, it has made you stronger. You're pure. Those two, I follow them. And obviously they were privileged kids. Um, the other two teenage girls. Oh yeah, they, they were they, they were of the pure mindset. They, they were they were they were asleep, <laughs> and he, you know, I just took it as they weren't pure because they had never had, they'd never had conflict. They they'd never had to suffer through anything in their life. And the beast, the beast, in a sense, I took especially if you now that you break it down as a comic book character, as a comic book villain. Comic book villains want to teach the world things about pain, things about, you know, what's pure, unpure, what's crazy, what's not crazy. I'm going to teach you world because I ha- I was abused as a child or whatever. Like the Joker's a great character to, to, to go off of. So he looks at Connie's character and says, oh, you've, you've, had, you've had suffering throughout all of your life, obviously. You're a stronger person. You're pure. Hence, you know, I, I I respect you. You know, that's sort of the way that I look at. It. Yeah, Especially I mean, I see. In it's, very X-Men. Comic book. it's very X Men. It's very X Men. I mean, that's what <laughs> you know. I mean, the, enough said. I guess it's very X Men. Um. Yeah. Um. I don't know. Uh, let's let's talk about the different personalities because I don't know if I'm the world's only person i think uh james mcavoy's performance was great however there are certain characters at times i, I felt were too similar at, at a certain point if you're having to portray and he didn't even have to get to that point they, they portrayed 
when you're doing 23 characters, it just seems like a lot, and you're like left wondering, well, okay, what do I do for this person? And then eventually became a slightly too similar. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I felt like there were some characters that kind of like blurred the lines, and <laughs> but my, I think my issue was like, we didn't need 23 to get the point across. I think we only saw maybe five, five. six at most. Yeah. Um, Throughout the whole film. So why even need 23? He could have just cut it down to this person has seven different personalities and we'd be okay with that. Um, I don't think maybe he just wanted a bigger number. Like this dude is like completely mentally crazy. Yeah. Um, well, what's I, what's I think, the symbolism of 23 going yeah. on 24? I have no <laughs> Yeah, clue. no, exactly. I, I think maybe like 23 is kind of like actually a negative connotation to the number. Maybe. But I, I think he could have just cut it down to this person has eight personalities uh, but still have the effect that this guy is threatening. Don't mess with him. Um, and I think I was just having a hard time trying to, every time we kept switching personalities, it took me maybe like a full hour to understand, okay, this is who's who. And I like I wish it was more established at the beginning um, that I could clearly tell which character, but it took me most of the movie to finally figure out who we were talking to. Mm-hmm. And that kind of distracts me. I wish it was more clear-cut at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, I, I just took it as he wanted to out-Sybil Sybil. Um, and, yeah. you know, I, I had a conversation with uh, with a good friend of mine and who also felt the same way. Uh, but it's like, why 23 characters? Like, when we didn't even we only, see yeah, 23. Yeah, not even close. And I know in the six. mirror, he, like, the because there was the Orwell character, there were a bunch of these different characters, and I, was 23 just supposed to be a shocking number? Yeah, that's exactly. a lot of characters. Oh, he's got 23. Oh, that. 23, that's a lot of numbers. But we didn't you even know? see it, so yeah. just cut it down to Might as well need it a thousand. Yeah, <laughs> but exactly. At that point, you know? Just um, cut it down to eight. But I will say this, though. So, you know, uh, obviously, for an actor, like, I, I, we can all agree that James McAvoy, like, was great. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and he jumped on the, you know, he jumped at this and because playing one of the characters would have been fun and interesting he says but but to do it nine times and get you know and do it all all these different characters which 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 was really the most fascinating to him uh he did say uh what, what i'm trying to think of the the woman's name that he played um patricia patricia, patricia. he said patricia was 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 the hardest for him because of the heels <laughs> he <laughs> said the heels and throughout the the entire time when he was dressed up as Patricia, uh, apparently his story is people would go to him, oh, oh, no, these are really comfortable. They're really soft. And he's like, no, they're not. <laughs> he's like, he couldn't wait to uh, to get out of no. them. Heels are terrible. I don't know why women put put up with them. Honestly, I don't. Yeah, it's, so I, I, mean, I, I no go experience. through it. It's terrible. But the other cool thing about what McAvoy said about playing this character or characters mm-hmm. is that... Um, uh, and I didn't realize this until after, uh, you know, he had talked about it with M. Night and how they wanted to approach the various characters. And it was, and, and apparently he came on, McAvoy came on sort of late in the project. And so he gets the script uh, without that ending. And he had to figure out what it's going to play like on screen. 
and he worked with M. Night about it, and he goes, I took a couple of characters in a slightly different direction to what they were on page, but it was a solid script. And he goes on to say, and this I didn't know, I looked at James McAvoy's performance, and I, I would have figured some of it's improv. Like, he just seemed to really chew it up and get into it. But uh, he was asking, he's like, no. He goes, M. Night he goes, does not like improv. He really wants you to stick to script. And he goes, so what I'm saying is little to no improvisation other than what I bring to the character yeah. that we agreed upon. But well, I'm I can see that. Here, I'm going here's why. Script. Because it, it needs to be, you know, if you're, in a sense, M. Night is, he's a magician of movies, hmm. right? And so just like a magician, it has to be extremely precise in order to not reveal something. <coughs> so that way the misdirection works. So 100%, I could see that. Now, what I've had, you know, in, in them talking about the character, he came on pretty much after um, uh, playing Xavier, right, with the shaved head. <coughs> right. Now, um, he it, it was a long debate, should he have hair, should he not? And they were like, well, the expression of these characters is in the clothes. And by shaving the head... And, you know, hair is also another expression of a person. But by shaving the hair, then you're focused on the performance and the clothing only. Right. Mm -hmm. And it makes all the personalities sort of neutral, gives them a neutral starting point. Especially yeah. someone like Patricia, because then you have guy hair, and what do you, what do you sort of do with that? Yeah, totally makes sense. Yeah, and, you know, you can wear a hat over a bald head, and that gives you a completely and different look. And that was look. Barry. Yeah, so... <laughs> You know, but again, I just want to say, like, too, it's interesting going back to uh, M. Night's thing. He's like, he wants to make his movie as it is on page. He doesn't want you improvising your way through the film. He wants it done like a play. My favorite part that McAvoy says, he wants the words respected. Mm -hmm. And McAvoy said, I really enjoyed that. He goes, you know, because sometimes he says a director will ask you to throw in your own thing. But you're right. If there's going to be a twist and if you are going to be the magician... You have a patter, a magician's patter, is always the same, and it's always rehearsed and scripted to go a certain way, so to make the audience look over here, when actually over here, is this your card? Yeah. Right. So, I I get that. Um, that to me is not a hubris part. It's not that he loves his words so much, but you're right. He has to be precise in what he's doing. So. I, th I think James McAvoy did a great job showing all these the different personalities because I think really if you think <clears> about it the, the whole film there's maybe two or three scenes where he might show both like the, the different personalities within the same scene within the same room but like the majority of the movie he would have one personality leave close the door like legit we get a visual cut of mm -hmm. that of that personality and then he would come back as a completely another person so like just filming wise I think that allows him as an actor to get into the next role. Yeah, and then there's a visual cut with the door. Well, they but, did. Uh, I, I, one of my favorites was so he's Hedwig, and and she's doing the walkie because they're in his in Hedwig's room, uh, and he's like, "Don't do that. I, mean, I got to call Dennis. I'm going to get Dennis." And then she looks, and there he is standing in shadow. Yeah, that's and scary. out comes Dennis. That was scary. Yeah, that was creepy. Yeah, yeah no. so they're really, if you think about it, but that was near the end of the film uh, because the majority of the movie, there's one personality, he leaves the room, comes back as a different personality. There's a visual cut right. of each personality. Yeah, and, and, and again, uh, James McAvoy, too, um, 
he was like, like, let's talk about Hedwig. You know, you brought up Hedwig. On paper, he's a nine-year-old boy, but he chose to play it as a nine-year-old boy. He wanted it that he was actually in a state of arrested development. So he said Hedwig is constantly trying to grow up. So unlike the rest of the personalities that reside within Kevin's body, he's not allowed to grow. He's not been allowed to age. He's not allowed to have a fulfilling adult life. Uh, so that makes him funny and actually that, you know, as well. But if it's funny when a kid tries to act older than they are. But for me, it was quite sad because he's not allowed to ever become an adult. And I found that that was very interesting. And uh, it, he, goes in the, he goes on to say, nothing really becomes apparent to the audience, but it was important for me playing the part. Someone like Barry... Uh, it's not really Barry. He goes, it's it's someone else playing Barry. And I just got really into the idea of a straight guy trying to play a gay guy and actually the truth of that not being that subtle. And if you do go back to watch the movie again, I, I won't, but I do remember the scenes with the doctor. That sentence that McAvoy says makes complete sense. Like, this wasn't... And if you look... This wasn't a cat, like, this wasn't Barry. It's somebody else playing Barry. And I like how he sets that up. I, I thought that that was very yeah. interesting. Well, let's, comment. let's shift gears and talk about Dr. Fletcher. I loved her. <laughs> I felt really bad. I was like, oh, no, I like this character. Oh, no. This is not going to end well for her. And sure enough, it didn't. No. I really liked her. I, I think she was good. It, it was good to see because we have James Macro. He's like a young man going through all this. But to play off of a more like mentally experienced older female, I actually really enjoyed it. I think they balanced each other out well. And I was afraid for her every time she was alone in the same room with him because at that point, I wasn't like I, I didn't know like what the extent of Kevin was capable of, mm-hmm. and that's what I was threatening. But I think she she really played her own, and she was smart and she was calm about it. Which it was like an eerie calm that I, I actually really enjoyed. I think she was super. She was great to watch. I hated it because uh, <laughs> she, she. Well, only because in the end, it amounts to. Um, I wanted her to be smarter than him, and she right. didn't end up doing that. Yeah. And also, I was kind of thrown for a loop because when when uh, Dennis is also telling her, there's another person that talks like the monster, and it kept he kept pointing to her. I was like, oh, is this is she like an is she actually for this? Because then it started to make in, in a weird sense it started to make sense as to why she didn't call the police or go investigate earlier about the disappearance of these three girls, knowing what she knew right. about these things. Um, so, in some strange way, I never, I guess for lack of a better term, I didn't feel fulfilled by her character. And I was, you know, upset by her character. And, uh, yeah, she, she just didn't work out in the proper way that I had hoped. Yeah, I mean, I had a couple of... I liked her performance. And, yeah. you know, what to me... As a horror movie fan, and and I couldn't find anything that 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 argues my case, but I felt as if she was somewhat cast because she was in uh, what is today considered, and even back in its own day, considered 
one of the scariest movies. And today it's become a classic movie. And it was a launch pad for, um, oh, I can't I, uh, think of the actress's name, Carrie. Carrie. Uh, Brian De Palma is based off of the, Stavie, the, the Stephen King novel. Betty Buckley was in Carrie, and she played Miss Collins, who I believe was a school counselor who was counseling Carrie because she knew that Carrie had issues. She didn't know about really the telekinetic powers, but uh, Sissy Spacek, uh, you know, I mean, that movie really helped launch her career. And and Betty Buckley was in that, who played a counselor, a very sympathetic counselor. So I was wondering if M Night was like, oh, well, my here's God, the thing. I, I, even though there's not direct evidence, every every geek has picked up on that reference. Yeah. So it it be hard to say that it's not there. Yeah. So I I, I like the let's call it an homage. If it was meant to be an homage, my problem with the character was multifold in a sense. Number one, being a psychologist, I, I you know I, I don't know what the rules are in Philadelphia, but if you suspect that your patient or patients is is doing is kidnapping, potentially murdering people, uh, you have a due diligence to call the police, especially when there's a history, right? And there was a history with, like, Dennis. They, 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 with Dennis because of his job and. We, we heard about the backstory. So that sort of kind of bothered me. Like, you have a responsibility, but she didn't do she anything. Didn't do the other thing that sort of bothered me, too, is just prior to her demise, you know, when she was, when she was given up the knockout gas, when she awakens, she's able to scribble, uh, and I forget what the name was, something. Kevin it's Wendell Crumb. Ke- Kevin Wendell Crumb. Kevin yeah. Wendell Crumb say his name it's like well why didn't you say his name during like you knew something was wrong you knew something was wrong while you're like giving therapy to barry why didn't you say his name well the lame excuse is that she she you know she says like i don't want to betray your trust exactly but who would know (laughs) like you know she would i don't know yeah like so that sort of bothered me and then it was just like a it was a one-shot kind of deal. Like, obviously, if you knew that information, you used that technique throughout your years of therapy, and you knew that it worked. Control your patient. It wasn't going to be a one-time deal because when when Khan goes to use it... Casey. It, Casey, I'm sorry. It only works, like, once <laughs> or something. And then I was yelling at her going... I would be screaming that name out repeatedly. Like, I just would not stop. Yeah. <laughs> well, they did going, say, going, like, going. Kevin went to sleep. He's going to take a long nap. You know, yeah, blah, 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 blah. I, I get that. It just... Uh, no, I agree. Like, um, like as much as I did, like, uh, it was a Fletcher, it, it was just kind of frustrating to know that she knew so much information and she didn't do anything about it. Right. And... Had she actually gone about, sought out the police, the, a lot of stuff might have gone in a more better positive route. You know, <laughs> maybe all the girls would have survived by then. Um, so it was just, it was frustrating for such a smart character to not do anything. And, and again, this goes back, though, to me. I believe that M. Night Shyamalan had his, he had his roadmap for this movie. So regardless of what we say, because that would drastically have changed the roadmap. He wanted his movie to end within the unbreakable world and to create a new villain. 
awful. And if any one of these things that we just discussed, she goes to the police, you keep on saying that name over and over again, it completely takes, like, it changes that roadmap, and he does not have a villain for Unbreakable 2. Well, here's the thing. I, I Unsplittable. I say, okay, you know, um, in that respect, these are problems. I, I think there's a way to address those problems, you know. If we had a five-minute brainstorm session, I could throw out some ideas. Would they be the world's best? No, but that's up to sort of the creative process to pick the right ones. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I think these are problems, and, and they can be addressed. You know, and so... But can they, though? If, if a movie... His movies do rely on twist. Okay. Yeah. So can they rely they on though? twist, so therefore the, the rest of the movie has to suck? <laughs> now, listen, no, I, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I am, but we, we said it before. He's a magician. He has this is his pattern, which leads to this. This is the misdirection. So it's yes, we're, we're coming up with plot holes and, and thus and such. If anything changed, like I was, I can't think of like because if you change that dynamic then you don't have a villain you can't kill that villain at the end because he's the villain yeah. for unbreakable you can't call the cops because well i mean i guess you could call the cops and then in the sequel the unbreakable sequel he escapes from prison or whatever because they never put these people to death they just leave in a prison for them to escape you know i, I don't know well here's the thing by by let's say her calling the cops then now there's a ticking time bomb Right, and she could mm-hmm. still go there, and she could try to plead with him, and and whatever. I, you know, I think there's various ways. I think there are various ways to do it. To me, if we're going to use the magician's analogy, it'd be like David Copperfield. To me, is the world's greatest magician. If his actual illusion isn't engaging, right. regardless of the, then it's like what the what the whole from start to finish, the illusion has to be engaging. Yes. In this regard, great. You have a twist ending, but the entire yeah, I'm not. I have to sit through a two-hour movie just to get to the last ten seconds. Right. That that, yeah, that makes make sense because I never, because it's, that doesn't make sense because I didn't see I wasn't two thousand. I didn't go see Unbreakable, so it doesn't make sense to me if the movie ended on split. Maybe, but I'm expecting a twist. Like his M Night. This is a has M Night dug himself into such a hole after the Sixth Sense, okay? After the Sixth Sense, which had, which which the twist really makes that movie, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Bruce Willis is dead at the end. We, we we come to learn, and that's a slow burn of a movie. But when that comes, it's like a punch to the. You're like, oh my god, holy crap, right? And then he does Unbreakable, which has a twist, and now, and I think for me, anyways, as a person who's followed this guy's career. When I go into movies like The Village and everything, now I'm trying to figure out the trick. I'm trying to figure out the twist because that's what he does. And he doesn't waver from that. He doesn't try to do something a little different outside of Last Airbender. Um, Which was terrible. Yeah. But he... uh, Have we become so conditioned because this is all that M. Night Shyamalan does where he doesn't really branch off, that we're looking for the twists a lot, very hard while watching the but movie. But that's what I said at the top of the show. Like, yeah. I went into this film expecting a twist at the end. Right. Sure enough, I got it. You so got are, it. Are, are, that's are you, all I know about M9. The, like, I, that's his style. He sets right. up a ridiculous kind of movie just for everyone to talk about 
to who keeps talking about his movies because everything everybody remembers the end they don't remember the, the like the rest of the film yeah. are, are you asking is a law of diminishing returns yeah has he pigeonholed himself because there was a time the village was an ungrate movie uh, uh, after earth like happening. almost <laughs> ha- happening, happening. Yeah. Um, I, I, I did like signs happening was I, I did not like signs scared um, the crap out of me yeah signs is a creepy movie and, and had a good twist uh, uh, Lady in the Water, not a great movie. Uh, After Earth, like we said, not a great movie. But he come, he came back for me, anyways, with the visit because at least that movie was tense. It had a pacing to it. It had, it had a good pulse. Um, this movie, the twist, I didn't. I can honestly say I didn't see it coming, but I didn't care <laughs> when it came. To me, it ruined the movie. I, I didn't care. And had it ended before, like you said. Then I just would have walked away thinking, God, that just really wasn't... Not only did I not get a twist, I, I just felt really dirty. Because our, our protagonist Cause is it doesn't going have a happy end. back to a life of crap. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like... Oh, so, he, he yep. for me, he failed on both... Yeah, I, 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 you know, it, I do think, and you know what, um, I, I commend him for wanting to do twists and things like that. But we've seen plenty of movies that have twists. Sure. But what I don't like, what you know, and one of the reasons why I haven't seen Unbreakable, to be honest, I'm probably the only mo- person in the world that hasn't seen The Sixth Sense, is because I don't like those things. I don't like feeling cheap and like, oh, it's not that it makes me realize something greater it's like ooh, look at how clever i was in manipulating you um so to give you an example i'm trying i'm trying i'm trying to um okay uh the one i can think of and uh it's been years uh so if it's spoiled for you it is what it is chinatown okay when she says she's my daughter she's my sister and she keeps saying that it's a twist but it's a fucked up twist that you're like oh she was oh you were what yeah oh boy yeah Mm -hmm. that's a twist because it makes you retroactive go back holy fuck but i'm gonna go back it's exposition masked as ammunition but i was also gonna bring up another one of the greats oh boy well psycho which is a split personality movie Mm -hmm. has a twist yeah has a great twist Norman Bates is the mother. That was one of the ever-loving Lulus of twists, especially at the time. That's a great that, that, that still holds up. It's one of Alfred Hitchcock's, again, talk about twists, kills off who you think is going to be the main character within the first 10, 15 minutes of the movie, shocks the hell out of everybody. Twist right there, and then we get the end twist with Norman Bates. Of more recent times, like Chinatown's a great example as well, but of recent times too, uh, Usual Suspects. Usual Suspects mm-hmm. has such a sucker, like, punch to the gut twist. Like, you're like, oh, he was Kaiser Sose the whole time? It's like, oh, my God. Amazing. And and again. But in that way, regard, we're not manipulated by the storytelling. Ma- we're manipulated by the character himself. And, the sto- and, and, I believe, Brian Singer, like, well, Brian Singer's direction the script, which I believe was a Macquarie mm-hmm. script, the script, everything about that movie, and the way that the reveal comes. I mean, as a director, you have to be you have to be a magician. You have to be a like a, a maestro of 
This is how I'm going to set it up. Because in Usual Suspects, when that happens, it's huge. Now, I will give it to M. Night Shyamalan for The Sixth Sense. I didn't feel manipulated while watching The Sixth Sense and or Unbreakable. But, you know, but he became so pigeonholed into that was his thing. Now, to an extent, I do feel manipulated. When I'm going into, uh, it's like you said, you see an M. Night Shyamalan movie, you're expecting the twist. As a person who goes to the movies a lot, that means I sit down in the theater and I'm trying to piece together clues that he might pepper the movie with where I can figure out the twist. Like in The Village, I figured that out like literally an hour before the end came up because that's what I'm predisposed to do with an M. Night Shyamalan movie. Um, yeah, and it, it, it is, it's still so tough. It's, you know, number one, how do you, you know, you can't really talk about it with friends um, in that regard without spoiling anything. And right. you know what, because there's all these movies that we sort of brought up, even though, let's say, we've given away certain things. Um, like, I've I seen The Usual Suspects while knowing the twist ending does not diminish nope. what that movie is. Absolutely not. Chinatown, same thing. Psycho. Uh, Psycho, same thing. Um, you know, they're, they're, because the movies, because the journey is equally as great as the twist, it doesn't matter. It's, um, you know, it's the same reason why dramatic irony works. It's mm-hmm. the same reason why for any movie that you as an audience um, watching us love and revisit, it's because you love that right. journey. Right, regardless of whether you already know what the hell the plot is, mm-hmm. um, in something like this, to just get a, it, it's a cheap thrill, right? Is how I can surmise it, and if it doesn't work, I've wasted two hours. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I think it's also frustrating. Maybe it's just I, I'm just tired of franchise movies now, mm. especially this whole past year, 2016, where every film was like a sequel or. In an extension of something, mm-hmm. um, I, I think is I think it's really unfortunate that maybe M Night Shyamalan thought this like this film didn't stand alone well enough on its own. Therefore, no, he had to tie it to something. No, he he's he it's picked, he, it, This was purposeful. It's, it's just annoying that like you to. have to tie it to something else. Yeah, to and, make and it to good. Me, yeah, to make it good. I I agree with you a hundred percent. And to me, it cheapens this movie. And to an extent, it sort of cheapens Unbreakable. Um, for me, more so this movie. Because this movie now, after two hours, it just becomes a completely different movie. It's not... It becomes Mission Impossible 2 that's supposed to set up Mission Impossible 3. <laughs> yeah. Which, uh, yeah. Which Mission Impossible 3, in some sense, could be very exciting. Yeah. If done right. Yeah. Uh, Why no, do we have to have I, that agreed. piece of garbage? Agreed. Mission Impossible... Um, or not Mission... I'm sorry. Um... Saying not Mission Impossible, um, um, Independence Day. Independence That's what I meant. Okay. Independence Day one to Independence Day two, which lead, which hopefully leads to a great Independence Day three. That's what I meant, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Yeah. So um, we can talk too because we were talking. We, we we were talking Betty Buckley. We were talking a little bit about, about the casting, which I find very uh, interesting. And again, everything surrounding this movie the production the creation of this movie i do find very fascinating folks because he clearly had this this, this idea this philosophy that i didn't want to go into uh, i like the idea of do what's on page um and such but even when he came 
to casting, Shyamalan says, listen, I prefer young, inexperienced actors because they're just perfect in their energy and light and they're hyper-trained theater actors like Betty and James who are brilliantly extemporaneous. So he, he, he combines the two together. When, 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 carrying, when casting Anya, he ha- the witch had not been out yet. And she, yeah. she, she uh, 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 um, auditioned, and he just like knew, like, I that's that that's who I want. And she was as Casey. I felt she was she was good. I think Anya is waiting for that role. Okay, I think for me, The Witch was an amazing first movie. That that movie has a twist. The Witch is a movie that has a twist and it works. And in part, it's because of everything we talked about. It's about script storytelling, but it's also the actor. Like, if Kevin Spacey flubbed up or we didn't believe in his character, him being Guys Associated doesn't work. The Witch has has a magnificent twist. And I just felt that in this movie, I think she's She's one of those actresses. I want people to just go back, you know. Work she with was her. great in Morgan too. Yeah, she, I mean, yeah. Yeah, not the greatest yeah. movie, but yeah. No, but she, I, I, Morgan. And, and apparently, she's at Sundance in a movie starring opposite Olivia Cook that mm-hmm. she's supposed to be really good in. So I'm glad that we're gonna start seeing more of her because we need this infusion of great young talent. Yeah, she's actresses. on the rise. She's yeah. definitely on the rise. Mm-hmm. Um, I. Like, uh, it's because we, well, if you do the research, we know that she got a part, uh, she was part of this film before, like, any of her movies just came out in the last year. Um, I think she's a force to watch. I mean, like, she's going to be great. She's going to have a great career. Mm -hmm. Um, She could be the next Jennifer Lawrence, and she's young. Um, She is. The thing is, like, I I didn't see The Witch, but I saw Morgan, and I know that she can play a strong character, but also have vulnerable moments. And I was kind of seeing that in this film. She was vulnerable throughout, like, this whole film. I was just waiting for her to just, like, have a kick-ass moment other than shooting a rifle. Yeah. I, I think I was just kind of expecting more out of her performance. I had Knowing hoped, what and, she as, actually, as an actor, is capable of. Yeah, and, and I recommend, too, to everybody, if you haven't already seen it, find it on demand or, or Blu-ray. See The Witch. Watch her performance. I and mean, when you talk... Thematic. When we talk themes, the the witch is filled with many themes of Puritan and faith and disbelief and things like yeah, that. But she is fantastic. Voice. She's really good. She's as you said, she's a force. She's someone that we can watch, much like Haley Lou Richardson. Her performance in Edge of Seventeen was great. Okay, and she's able to go. She she too was able to stand up and go toe to toe with. Um, uh, Haley, uh, Haley at Steinfeld. She was fantastic. She paired up great with her, um, and she was somebody to watch in Edge of Seventeen. That she did really good here as well. Um, but again, I think we got some young, good talent. Jessica Sula, who played Marsha, was was good. I didn't. Not find... memorable though. Yeah, not not, not as memorable. the other two. Agreed. But but that's unfortunate. I didn't think it was her fault necessarily, but yeah. I don't think she was yeah. given much. I think right. well, it's also like you have the three girls; they're all played against each other, and they all like physically they kind of look alike. So you have to like make that distinction mm-hmm. of which one are we supposed to follow, and it's obviously supposed to be Casey. Mm-hmm. Although I, I, I think uh, the, the 
the friend, the uh, Haley. Haley, uh, her her performance, I think she was great because I was actually rooting for her because she was the one who was taking action and initiative, like trying to break the drywall and stuff. I was like, I was actually hoping for her to survive as well because she was smart. She had the the means necessary to survive, but she didn't. I gotta be honest, I didn't anticipate any of those characters dying. And not the way not that they the did. way that they did. Yeah, I, I mean, expected too, that. That was like uh, it. It just I just felt dirty. <laughs> I really, I really did. Um, and I don't want to take away from performance, but uh, yeah, I just uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, they died. Well, let's, that was let, depressing. Let's uh, let's shift gears <laughs> just completely, and let's talk about more of the uh, the production stuff, right? Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I think I forget if we mentioned it earlier, but um, M Night was a huge fan of It Follows from at this point. I think that was 2015, um, and so he sought out the director of photography from that. Uh, Mike, this is a Greek name. Geolakis. 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 Definitely a Greek name, right? <laughs> I was trying to pass. Call him Mike. So. You know, and, and he got his way with it. He he got him to 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 do it, um, and that's why it, it does have similarities in terms of like it, it follows in a way is sort of very stable, but you're kind of zooming in, you know, right? Um, right. The camera movement that's there is very mechanical, I would say, right? Definitely like held down, steady, and you see that here, which I, you know, and, and one of the first shots that I really enjoyed. Um, when we're talking about the sort of abduction initially, um, we're tracking with the family, and it looks like it's a camera shot, but then you realize it's Dennis's perspective. Right. Right. Um, I, uh, I, I haven't seen It Follows either. Again, I avoid horror films. Uh, but I, I think M. Night Shyamalan, yeah, his stories are kind of plot holy, but I think his visual creative direction... Is oh, great. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you go back to Sixth Sense, we know M. Night Shyamalan loves his staircase shots. <laughs> we got two of them in this film just because it was pretty. Um, the same thing with the Sixth Sense. We got the staircase shots with the red balloon going, like, right up right. the middle. Right. Like, I, I wasn't expecting that kind of shot, but it was in this. I was like, yep, that's totally M. Night. Yeah. Um, I liked it, and even like the corridors, I could, I felt the um, the tight space. I felt the claustrophobia, and like the the pipes. I still because I think because we were in the basement, couldn't still distinguish where they were in location, and I felt the that that made it threatening because we didn't know where it was. Right. Um, I think visually, M Night does is really good in the creative aspect. Yeah, he and, and he and you're right. I think he always does. Even in a scene that annoyed the hell out of me, I can't. The, the, the one thing I can't say is that it looked good, and it's the hanger scene with that stupid uh, door latch yeah. thing. Well, I just hated and, the notion of how that was going to work. From yeah, the me too. I'm like, this is the stupidest. Like, really? She has no idea. On the Why is she going from the top? Door. She could like, wait, go through the Oh side. my god! But like, yeah, it was just like the stupidest thing. Like, the the odds. I'm gonna buy a lottery ticket today, and my my odds are better at winning the lottery of even finding that latch. However, it looked good no. the way that it was shot, and I remember being in the movie, being 
frustrated in one hand. Like, they like it. it looks, at well, least it looks good. Yeah. I, um, he was very <laughs> he was very meticulous. Like there there were so many shots, especially of the girls. Right. Uh, <clears throat> it was it was a false sense of safety, because whenever they were with him, it was sort of wider. But when they were they they were together, he had those very tight shots on them. You know, um, what's the girl's name? Marsha. Uh-huh. She's trying to run away. Um, you know, in a sense, you're you're frustrated as an audience member because you want him to pull out and, and and see what she's seeing, but she feels so closed off that he's capturing that feeling as she's feeling for everything and, and like where the, where's this door? How do I get out of here? Yeah. Um, also, one of the shots that was very troubling in, in a lot of ways, and also one of the main reasons why, among others, that this I didn't feel like needed shouldn't have a PG thirteen rating was. There was that shot of Casey, and she's banging the um, the wall. She's crying and whatever else. Right. And it's so tight, and you're wondering, is she being raped? Yeah. Mm. And it's not answered until way later that she was just crying. Right. It was but an she, odd shot. You know, and uh, it just it, that was very uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the uh, like two great shots. One you already mentioned when uh, Kevin changed. Um, personalities, and he was in the dark, and he turned around. I'm like, oh shit! Um, that 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 was like a holy shit moment for me. Um, another one was when Casey was running away, and she was in the locker, and we knew it was coming. Like he was just gonna appear like right then and there. But like he breaks the fourth wall, looks straight at the camera, and even just the light, it's all literally split. Right. And um, I thought that was great. Right. You mean Claire? Claire, yeah, Claire. Well, one of the girls who, who went into the lockers Claire. and he he found her, but that like just like the four lines of just the grate through no. the the locker, even though the lighting itself was split, reflecting who the character yeah. was. Yeah, and, and again, I think that the team, the creative team that M Night worked with, um, for example, production designer uh, Mara Lapre Schloop. Um, you know, she herself uh, even says, like, it's a complicated movie because there's so many layers of the story. We wanted nuances and subtleties that hinted at to what was to come without giving anything away. And he goes, there are hyper forms of people. And he said, we had very long discussions, she goes on, about using a new color for a new character who we're introducing into this world. She specifically talks about the basement and going, we tried to desaturate everything Else, so that a pop of color was impactful. Moving through the set, the wall colors are saturated, desaturated, depending on the scene. In the space where audiences see the most intense and violent action, we employed the most vibrant use of color. And, you know, when you think about it in retrospect, that's exactly what they were trying to do. And, and it worked. Um, we got claustrophobia. I think also Ugh. color yeah, does give you, what did you say, uh, a false sense of security? Like, when everything is drab, that's dread, but when you start to see color, and when that false sense of security is ripped away from you, you know, it, it adds to, it can add to suspense uh, and horror. Um, you know, so uh, she also goes on that, you know, M. Knight is very, much like his reading from the page, he's very, uh, he storyboards everything out very meticulously. Um, knowing exactly, he has the whole thing in his head, and he knows exactly what he wants. And you talked about it as a filmmaker visually, you know that's exactly what he's going for. Mm-hmm. If he's gonna 
have his camera person, a cinematographer, this is the way I want it to look. So, uh, you know, I, I found it to be very interesting, you know, and, and people like the costume designer had to work with those palettes of color because it's yet another way in which you can associate with the various personalities. Um, you know, it's all on costuming and color. So, absolutely. Um, and in terms of soundtrack, um, one of the very few movies he didn't use James Newton Howard on. Mm -hmm. um, instead, it's a man by the name of Wes Dylan Thordson. Um, he's on Foxcatcher, Joy, The Jinx, which is a TV series, right? Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, and again, you know, not that the palette was in, in, in the sense of like unbreakable except towards that end. Um, but I, I actually, I, in the right way, in the way that's intended, I enjoyed the music a lot for this movie. Yeah. I, I thought it added that suspense that it needed to. I think one of the, like, one of the key moments where I really noticed it was, uh, when we saw the beast crawling on the, the ceiling coming towards Casey with the lights going out. Like, he's when actually, he was, like, when he's actually the knocking the yeah. lights out, uh, because, you don't see anything. All you do is hear stuff right. uh, on top of the, the sound effects of just breaking the light bulbs, but also the music, something's right. coming at you, yeah. like that slow build Absolutely. of swell. Yeah. Scary. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it had some... Again, M. Night, M. Night can give us the creeps um, in the way he, he has an actor or actress pose. You know, I mean, and, and I felt this was one of the strengths of The Visit. Um Seeing, seeing the aunt and uncle uh, in that movie, uh, you know, the older people, and are they nuts? Like, what's going on? Or why is she posed like that? You know, he's good at delivering the creeps. Um, I wish there was just better context. You know? I so know I see the mean. beast, and it's like, what the hell? Oh, oh okay, he's, yeah. he's a villain. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, the other things I did enjoy, uh, just the, I guess I'll call them graphics, just even seeing the the scroll at the end, where there's the main scroll and then there's all these split um, mini scrolls, right? I just I enjoyed that. I thought that was clever. Yep. Um, all right. Numbers reception. Are we ready? To well, yeah. I mean, look. Unbeknownst to anybody, I mean, wow, tracking was accurate again. <laughs> I say that sarcastically. Um, you know, the movie opened up uh, on January 20th, right? So, yeah, it's a it's a Blumhouse, you know. This is the other thing, too. We, 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 They're coming up with say. great films. Well, Blumhouse makes their bones on this. They've been making their bones on horror movies. They have given us Insidious. They have given us Conjuring. Like, they are low-budget masters of horror in today's world. Uh, uh, um What's the one, uh, the other one that they're, that's very popular, just had its third sequel, uh, the one where, the, the one where people are told to stay in their house, The Purge, The Purge. Yeah. Uh. Blumhouse is, you know, it's, it's, it's The Purge. So this was, uh, their second collaboration, M. Night and Blumhouse, because they did, um, they did, uh, Visit. This movie makes $40 million in its opening weekend. On over 3,000 uh, locations, right? $40 million. It's, uh, it's as of uh, January 26th, $51 plus million on a production budget of only $9 million. 
dollars. <laughs> wow. There's got to be, but for someone like McAvoy, there's got to be a lot of back end points as yeah. well as. But know. also, Maybe, like horror but films, you can make. Blumhouse gr- doesn't work that way, though. But the thing is, you can make great horror yeah. films, yeah. and people love this genre. People are going to go see it on such a small budget. Think Paranormal. That was like a. Yeah. Completely, that was a tiny budget, and that movie yeah. blew up like well, nobody's business. Listen, so, like, people can make good horror thrillers for like cheap. That's what they're known for. Um, you know, even to today, if you account for inflation, uh, and I could be wrong, so somebody can check my numbers, please. So, I'm throwing that caveat out there. But, Halloween, uh, the original John Carpenter Halloween, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, that movie was the highest grossing independent horror movie of of all time considering its budget uh you know i was fortunate i worked many years at lionsgate and lionsgate made their bones off of horror movies because they're cheap to make mm-hmm. and the dividends if done well uh could float a studio and and build up a studio as it did with Lionsgate, when you talk about what Saw did, or or a movie like Open Water, which cost two dollars. Like you yeah. know, I'm, I'm being facetious. I'm being sarcastic when I say Open Water cost two dollars, but it cost four. It cost four, theory. right? But you know, and you're putting your actors in the water with real sharks. <laughs> so you know, you're right, Marissa. That's a scary movie too. Horror is a genre that lends itself to being shot cheaply. And all you really... James Wan has made his bones about... The Conjuring was really cheap. If that movie cost over $12 million, $15 million, it's all about the visual storytelling. And I think if you are going to direct a whole movie... City of didn't cost no, a lot of money either. Absolutely not. And much like M. Night Shyamalan, I think a horror director has to work harder because they are doing... Uh, horror is all about manipulation it's all about well i want you to look over here because when that person turns around it's gonna make you jump and but i have to hide that jump i have to hide that scare in order to bring it out james wan who's today is like the john carpenter of his day the way he moves a camera and you know horror is great it follows like you said is a really well done horror movie in part because of how it's filmed um, it fall. Uh, I said it follows out. Let the right one in is an uh, amazing yeah. and, and 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 its American counterpart. Um, let me in. I let think me it's in. called. Again, horror. You have to sort of think on your toes. Uh, I, what did we do this past year? One of my favorite horror movies of 2016 Lights was out. a sequel. Ouija two. Oh yeah. Ouija two. Guy from Massachusetts. A guy from Boston who makes good. He was using techniques that they used in the 60s, 70s. It's all about visual style that you can do on the cheap. Much like, I didn't know this was $9 million. Yeah. Well, $9 million bucks. Well, the visit was $5 million, so they, uh, you know, they, they gave him more. And the nice part is, too, uh, in some sense, you get full cre- you get a low budget, but you get full creative control uh-huh. in many aspects with with Elise Blumhouse. Yeah. And uh, so that's what he was able to do. And it's made $51 million thus far. 51 wow. wow. And I don't even think... And foreign, catch this. Catch this. Foreign, it's made $5 million foreign. So it's worldwide box office. 
is $57 million on a movie that was $9 million. Let's, let's, let's say it's thir- let's say Universal threw $30 million for hard drives, 3,000 locations. It's, that's, that's a lot of locations. They had good marketing. They had, a, they had good trailers, uh, posters. So let's, let's, I'm going to spitball and take a guesstimate, an educated guesstimate, and say they spent 30 to $40 million. You're still not even really at 50 well, let me ask you. Let me ask you. <clears throat> so, um, you know, I'll just kind of summarize a couple of these things to, to be able to ask my question. Um, B plus cinema score, seventy five percent on Rotten Tomatoes with uh, audience score of eighty three. Um, there's a lot of speculation. So, I, my question is: It's doing well. Mm-hmm. Does it continue if people know the spoil? I think as a society. I think we've been. I think I think as a society outside of this show, but we tell everybody we're going to spoil. But I think as a movie culture society, let me say it that way. I think as a movie culture society, we have become very very good at not giving away the ending to a movie, whether it's whether it's a spoil, whether there's a twist. Like, you know, you didn't know. Going into Usual Suspects, nobody talks about the end. Okay. Uh, so, and when it was kept such a secret, uh, I, I don't think that it hurts, unless it's a really shitty movie, that's going to hurt its second, third week, okay? B+, plus. it's a little bit high for me, um, but it's not going to, I don't think it'll diminish as much, because people were thrilled, scared, they might have jumped here or there. So that's what they're going to talk about to their friends if they're going to recommend, and they're not going to talk about the twist. They're just going to say, "Oh, that movie was scary." I think this film because it's doing financially well, we're going to see something else come out of this. So, like another film with another twist at the end. <laughs> Thank you, M Night Shyamalan. Um, <laughs> so we're going to see another film coming out of this. Just uh-huh. the way that they set it up because it is tied to another film. And I, I, I think it's just, I don't, if you watch this film and get rid of the last minute or just like stop the film, it, it might be interesting. I mean, we're talking about it, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so like people are talking about it. I think visually it stands up. Storyline, it's here and there. But I think as a film, yeah, it could be fine. By what itself. do you think? Um, it, it's tough because, again, it, it, it with... The usual suspects, yeah, you're excited to go see that movie, but I'm kind of torn. And I guess the the way um, I, I, I pose the question to you fi- fans at home, um, let us know what you guys think and how you would pitch this movie. But I guess if if I did enjoy the movie, you know, I, what I would recommend, hey, go see this movie. But before you do, see all of his movies. Do yourself a favor. That way I'm not giving away that you have to see Unbreakable, <laughs> but I'm also giving them the hardest task of, hey, before you see this movie, go see every I, single one of my movies. I, I, would, I would just whittle it down. i say, look, before go see his best movies. Go see, go see The Sixth Sense, see Unbreakable, see Signs, see The Visit, or at least see The Visit. Um, maybe see the, the one that he produced, Devil, which was actually yeah, a really that cool was, movie. And that wasn't a bad movie. No, I, no, I actually really, enjoy that movie, cool and I don't movie. do I'll more. just keep it to three. Go see Six Sense, go see Unbreakable, and go see Signs. Sure. And, because that'll put you in the right mindset but to what, see this what, movie. What, what movie came Shutter. out in 2016 
that really hinged on a twist that uh, literally audiences went, but they didn't talk about the twist. Don't like, breathe has a twist it, at I the mean, end. I just think that as a movie-going culture, as movie fans, okay, we don't, like, nobody talks about, like, the twist at the end. And I think we become better at that. Now, where this movie has a, a, a much bigger advantage over, say, a movie like a Star Wars movie, right? So many people want to know about Star Wars and there's, things are being written about it so much. But when you're talking about the $9 million budgeted split, people are really, it's not on people's radar as much because they don't really care. It's like, oh, M. Night's coming out with a new movie. He's able to hide it maybe a little bit easier. He's not going to, you know, the people working on it probably not going to leak. And the way he hides it, I think that other people, uh, other production companies should take a page out of that book. Don't put that twist in the script that you're giving to the actors. Like, don't tell them. Like, do it at the very last possible uh, moment. I get that, but also take take a movie like The Force Awakens. How do you hide the fact of, you know, the the the, the thing going into that? It was where's Luke? Mm-hmm. Right. The whole movie's about where's Luke. Right. Yeah. How do you hide that yeah. fact? Well, yeah, yeah. There's a couple of scenes. We're still writing them. We promise. He's True. in the movie. Yeah. But I'm just saying, more people are passionate about that uh let's talk i can bring up another twist that that failed miserably sure and that was because of i'm gonna just blame paramount uh on this was uh uh star trek into darkness the 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 second Uh, of the 2000s 2009 the twist the twist was supposed to be you know it was the worst kept secret (laughs) in in star trek science fiction movie history Benedict Cumberbatch played Khan. <laughs> that was supposed to be a twist. Yeah, Paramount just completely blew it. It got out. They tried to do whatever they could to to keep it. Like they they tried to. They literally lied to audiences <laughs> and, and lied to people saying no, no, no. It's not this because we got this. And I well, with a movie like that, miserable. I also think it, it's a twist. But at the same time, it's. Uh, <laughs> You know, had it gone out there, a big reveal. Yeah, but does it ruin? Mm -hmm. Like, here's the thing: that's not what ruins the movie. The movie ruins the movie. A lot of people (laughs) were really pissed about it. I don't, I don't know if it was kept under wraps, but But, again, I'm just saying that was a movie who where it was ruined. Yeah, but also in fairness, like no one has seen Split. This is, I mean, it's <laughs> kind of like somewhat independent. Star Trek has a humongous following sure. already. Like, they're going to expect, like, certain characters, certain storylines right. to be played out. So, like, you already have that set universe and following right. where Split doesn't. Yeah, you true. can go into Split with a completely fresh mind and then get more um, excited at the end because there is a twist. Yeah, yeah. And I think that the people who like this movie and who are going to recommend Split to their friends, they're going to keep the twist out of it. But... There's also a very high chance that the people who saw this movie may have liked it don't know what the twist is to begin with. <laughs> like, they don't know that Bruce Willis is the twist. <laughs> they don't know that. They don't get it. They're like, what the hell? And they might even bring it up to their friends going, yeah, Bruce Willis in the, is in the movie for two minutes, but I, or two seconds, but Maybe I don't know dead. why. But the, the yeah. <laughs> it's like exactly, but that's me. I'm part of that boat. I like at the end, I was like, what are you doing here, Bruce Willis? And then it just got to black. <laughs> let's, uh, but that's, that was my thought, right? I was like, let's what's head he home. doing here? Um, sure. 
as as M Knight writes, I'm writing the outline now. Um, this is in talks for a third movie. It's weird. It's long. It's the longest outline I've ever had. It's almost ten pages of an outline. I don't know what that means. It's very long. It has so many characters. It's a weird process. I already know all the characters, most of them. Um, awesome. But I want to finish it. <laughs> so uh, God bless them. So you know what? The good news for fans, you fans, you wanted an Unbreakable sequel. You got it with this. And you know what? Now you're. I would say, if I had to guess, if I was a betting man, I would say ninety percent. Definitely getting a sequel. You're oh, gonna yeah. get another film in that world that 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 at least yeah. fe- at the very least features Bruce Willis. Yeah. Yeah, and there's already talks that. Well, James McAvoy's Bull- on board. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like it. Bruce is back on board. Um, so. Just so, like, if you have your main character, good chances it's gonna happen. And and you brought up earlier uh, is Anya Taylor Joy. Robin. Robin, like yeah. to his Unbreakable character. Yeah. Uh, I think, I please, know. please well, redeem she her character. In this film, so. You gotta do something. All right, that's all we got for today. Splitting um, headache is what I got after uh, yeah. watching the movie. Seriously, <laughs> like, my brain curious. hurts. I, do, I am curious because, again, we do talk about audience, critics, 75%. 75% for me, that's high. Audience, B+. For the people watching us, I am very curious to C+. know. Yeah. Minus D for me. I just want to know why the audience, if someone who really liked it, why? You know, I'm, and I'm willing to entertain because maybe it was just lost on me. And I also add to that, were they familiar with Unbreakable? All right. So there's uh, there's your questions to answer. There's your homework. <laughs> um, you can certainly ask or comment with anything else, not just that. But um, but that is a good jumping off point for a lot of sure. great discussion to be had in the comments section, which I'm sure we will. Especially with a movie like this, I mentioned at the top, this is the type of movie you want to discuss because we're you know ultimately, regardless of whether or not the movie is great, there's a lot to discuss. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So at D Movie 1701. Thank you. Support me on Twitter. That's a Star Trek reference right there. Yeah, Talk about uh, tie-ins. <laughs> at Serafini TV. That's right. And uh, at the Popcorn Talk here, uh, definitely check out our other movies. We uh, another Anatomies. We've we've done plenty of them. Uh, we mentioned Morgan. We've mentioned um, Don't Breathe. We mentioned Don't Breathe. We mentioned Lights Out. We've done Ouija. we've done quite a bit. Ouija, the second one, not the first one. Um, and we've got tons of stuff coming down. Halloween. <laughs> In time. I don't think we were around back then. But well, retroactively, we could go back to that. Um, well, moving forward, we definitely got a lot down the pipeline. Um, we're going to be doing just up next um, the founder. That's going to be great. Um, and then tons of tons of other movies that we're looking forward to this year. Um, and you know what? In due time, once it comes out, I'm sure we'll be doing Unsplittable. <laughs> so, until next time, we'll see you here. Bye. Bye. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff, we would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.